Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. We have a great guest today. Keith Sakata is the founder of the Doctor Circle and current medical resident at the University of California, San Francisco. In this episode, we talk about how his own burnout led him to build his community, how he would change the education system, and why building a community is so important. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Hey, Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Zane. How are you? I am doing awesome. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it a lot. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be on. Um, this is not our first time talking, so I already know that you're a great person to talk with. I've already had so much fun, so I think this is going to be great. I really appreciate that. Um, thank you so much. But yeah, no, for those who don't know who you are, do you mind giving us a little background of it, about yourself? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um I'll start with um, kind of, you know, who I am, like what kind of drives me. I think that um, might be a good place to start. Um, I have always struggled with, I'd say, two things. Um, introversion, like I'm a very shy person growing up. And um, a little bit of academics, like uh, like book smarts. And, you know, growing up, I was kind of the shy kid, um, really hard to make friends and academically you know i applied to a lot of colleges i only got into one place thank god but um you know those things are kind of what brought me you know even in medical school kind of what i've always been struggling with um and you know in medical school really hard to connect because i always felt like i was a little bit odd i always thought that i saw the world a little bit differently um and then academically I am the first person in UCSF history to have failed obstetrics and gynecology um, the final three times. Like by the time it was my my fourth time to take it, they were like, we don't know what to do because we ran out of anatomy structures to test you on. Um, so, you know, those are things that I always kind of struggled with in medical school. But I would say that what changed is um, I got into creativity and I started leaning into um kind of embracing that oddness and embracing kind of seeing the world differently um I met some really incredible people building really cool things and i think the energy of creating something new and then finding people who yes are different and you could reduce them to being odd um but who are so obsessed about problems is really what drives me at the end of the day um i carry that with myself to residency i'm currently an internal medicine resident at stanford and um, it's just been my guide, really, to to find people like that, to find people like yourself, you know, doing really creative things. Um, I'm currently, uh, you know, in residency. I launched a couple, uh, a consulting business uh, on the side, and then I'm also putting up together like an educational platform to help people who are creative express themselves through side projects as well. Um, and then part of that is a community. So like, I'm trying to get all those people who are different into one place so that we don't have to feel alone. And I think the future of medicine is creative. I'm really excited to kind of see where it goes. 
Yeah, man. Um, thank you for um, bringing us into your world. I mean, you, um, and sharing, you know, I think one thing that I appreciate about what you just said is, um, I think we live in a world where we only show our best, we only show our best foot forward, right? With social media, you know, whether it be LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you're on, you're always just showing the best. No one, no one talks about their failures. No one talks about how hard it is. So it, it sets up this unrealistic expectation that everyone is successful and they, they just went from zero to a hundred, like just in a snap of a finger. No one really sees the back end, like, you know, for yourself, you know, failing those exams for me, same when you talked about the college thing, that same that resonated with me a lot. You know, I only got accepted to one pharmacy school. I, you know, I applied to like, I had a spreadsheet that had like all these different variables. How many out of state kids did they take? What is the average PCAT score? Like I had this massive spreadsheet that I was running pivot tables on and uh, <laughs> because I was like, I don't think I'm going to get in, but uh, yeah. no, but thank you for sharing that. And um, so, yeah, let's dive in um, into kind of, what you're building with this uh, educational platform where with the side products, I would love to learn more about that as well. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of touch on what you said before we move on, Zane, but uh, I feel you about the spreadsheets. And I I would say (laughs) a lot of people on Reddit feel the same exact way as you. Um, It's just kind of, I think we'll talk about this later, but I feel like in healthcare, yes, we are always putting up a face. Some of that is good because patients want us to be confident in what we're doing. At the same time, it really makes it super hard to um, feel good about, you know, the hard days. And so I, I think that it contributes to a lot of burnout. And, and you know, speaking about burnout, that is where um, my project kind of started from. I, um, in residency, just really noticed that there have been more and more people who are just outwardly saying I, I cannot get through this. You know, people are actively planning when to start antidepressants, when they get to residency, when they get to a certain amount of training. Um, and it's almost like it's just, um, you know, something we accept a little bit blindly, that this is the norm. And I, I thought about that and just really, it didn't sit well with me. And so I tried getting people together in a small community, um, starting with interns and just helping them just kind of collaborating. How can we figure out ways to um, get you out of the hospital quickly? Like just starting from there, something as small as that, so that you can have time for yourself, for your family, spend time with your dog, so that you can feel more like a human being. Um, I realized that that was just such a huge problem that I could not as one person tackle. And so I think as many creative people do, we tend to kind of pivot and then find new things that um, we can actually make an impact on. And that led me to finding, you know, creative people. I feel like I've seen so many creative people who feel like when they get to medical school or when they get to residency, they kind of lose that shine that brought them to become doctors or that brought them to become pharmacists or nurses. And, you know, it's almost like a letting go of what made you human. And so I wanted to help that specific group of people because I, I feel very strongly with that tribe. And um, I've been burnt out severely in residency and you know, it's not something I would wish on anybody. Yeah, no. And I, I, I can definitely sympathize with what you're saying, just seeing, I think that's one of the, in a recent column I wrote, like why I left clinical medicine, I wrote about one of the, 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 the saddest thing I saw was not sick people. It was seeing my colleagues, people that are brilliant minds, 
just kind of wither away. Either they lost their passion or worse, you know, in some cases took their own lives. And as a clinician or people in this tribe, as you call it, it's really hard to stomach because, you know, we're not, when you look at things like that, you're like, you're not different from them. We are all doing the same thing. We're all in the same boat. We're all dealing with the same things and it can get very um, daunting. And it's, and, you know, kind of going back to your thing about medicine, we are taught to be stoic, right? We are taught to be this rock in front of our patients, in front of everyone, in front of each other, because, you know, we are, we're never told how to take care of ourselves. We're only told how to take care of other people. And like, I think that I wish we would do more of a better job of lifting the curtain and showing people what's happening in the back end. Cause I think that a lot of problems in medicine have kept going forward because we have shut the door on everyone outside and we're like, we will take care of it. We are taking care of it. Leave it to us. You know, this is our job. When I think if we kind of open the door and be like, Hey guys, this is all the stuff we're dealing with, but yet we are still succeeding. If you help us even a little bit, imagine how much good we can do. As a, as coming from a pharmacy background, do you, do you think that the most benefit from, from kind of that transparency goes to, you know, the other pharmacists, or do you think there is possible for like cross, um, professionals kind of seeing each other speak in that way? Cause I, I do feel like when we do get super busy, the last thing I'm concerned of is other people. It's mostly like, how do I save myself? And so if, if we have that environment, I wonder, like, um, is, is there room for everybody to kind of do that, do you think? I mean, it's funny that you said the save yourself. And that's one of the reasons why I, one of the reasons what I wrote down is why I left was because it ended up being me serving myself rather than others. And it's a common theme amongst us all. I don't think that we try to do that. It's just something that happens, right? Either we're so burnt out, we're just so busy. And I think that there is room. I mean, as a pharmacist, we work with every profession. We, we're working with the PAs, doctors, all that stuff. Everything is routing to us, right? Everything in medicine is <laughs> medicine. Uh, <laughs> so we, we deal with a, quite a bit of stuff. And I think we do need to do a better job of acknowledging each other, acknowledging each And I think it's happening, uh, you know, with your generation, yeah. the younger doctors that are coming out, the younger pharmacists that are coming out, they're being taught to work in a more collaborative effort. And I think that will eventually help with burnout, right? So like, you know, you know, I mean, we've all worked in like, I mean, you work at UCSF. I worked in bigger um, healthcare institutions where you have a team, right? You have the physician that's doing the diagnosis, the pharmacist that's doing the medication part of it. Then you have like dietitian taking the diet part, PA, PT, all that stuff. But not everyone has that luxury, right? right. And some, some, a lot of places just have the doctor and, and that's it. And they're dealing with pharmacists. They're dealing, doing the pharmacist work, the PA work, dietitian, everything. And that gets a lot, especially with, you know, things being cut all over the place, you know, staffing is being cut. I mean, I, you talk to hospitalists and they're taking care of like two to 300 patients overnight. That's not safe. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm reminded I have a pharmacist colleague. We went to, I think we went to high school together, uh, but we also went up to the kind of similar places in the Bay Area. Um, but he was mentioning that working in retail pharmacy was one of the hardest things that he has done because he felt so alone and it felt like the world was just out to get him you know you know even having a patient come in with 
uh, or an opioid uh, refill, which should be an opportunity to engage with that patient and kind of learn a little bit more about what they're going through. Because there's this specter of, you know, legal action, because there's this specter of, you know, losing a business that you're running and be being short-staffed and being the only person to kind of where the buck stops, he felt so burnt out after six months. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it feels like we're sending people out into the world without the proper tools, without the proper support, and just kind of letting them, you know, flail in the water. Um, it's, it's, it's a really hard position to be in. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I, I mean, I think the majority of us are taught in school of all the good we can do. We're given this, like, utopic you know, world that we're taught in the first couple of years, right? Before we even like, I guess even during rotations, because you're kind of shielded a little bit, right? From the realities of it until you go out into residency or your job. And, you know, you're told like, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. You're going to be doing all these things. You're going to be helping all these people. And I wish that schools would do a better job of telling us exactly what is going to happen to us. For example, like the retail thing, like I know a lot of people that went into retail and in general, like even I know doctors and stuff like they were all coming out and they were they wanted to help the world. They were they were like, hey, I'm going to be that person that's going to change it. And they get just beat down by just the system. It's not by like the patients. It's not by whatever. It's the system like you. You have to continuously say no to patients. You have to continuously say, no, we can't help you right now because of this, this and this. It's completely out of our control even though you've spent hours and hours with insurance companies and this and that, they're still denying it. You can't do anything else about it, right? A hospital is not going to comp, you know, thousands of dollars. So what are you going to tell the patient? You have to literally look at the patient in the eye and say, we can't help you. And that is something that kept me up at night. I'm sure it keeps you up at night, keeps everyone up at night. Like, I mean, I don't think people realize how much um, medical professionals care about their patients. And I think, it's just it's just really hard to live with that, honestly. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly, Zane. Um, and specifically, what resonates with me right now is um, how much we care, because what that kind of gets at is that we are inherently vulnerable in everything that we do. Um, we came in because of this reason. We want to help people. We we learn professionalism. We learn how to do certain things because we care about people. Um, but when you're put in a situation, um, and I think Einstein's the one that said, like, if you keep doing the same thing and expecting different results, that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. Not only are you feeling insane about what you're doing, but like that moral injury to like sit to have to say no to a patient um, or being cut short with them because you ran out of time because you're just short staffed. That does not end at the end of the day, that kind of, you kind of carry that with you. There are so many patients that I bring up in my head where I remember those conversations. I remember how they must have felt. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily my fault, but I, I carry that, you know, sometimes it is some, a form of guilt when you're in residency and you don't have time to reflect on things that can fester and turn into burnout, anxiety, depression. Um, it's really hard. And I, you know, what you said about just we care. I think, you know, that is our greatest strength, but it's also something that can be manipulated. And it's, um, it's really hard. Yeah. And I mean, you can maybe talk to this a little bit more because you're, you just graduated, but 
you know, not that we were taught, but it was kind of inferred like during our training is you cannot be attached to everyone, right? You know, right. you can't, you can't attach yourself to everyone because you'll never be able to do your job. So, right. you know, we're, we're trying not to get too attached. And then, you know, we start caring and we start feeling because we're human beings, right? We're like, people think we're just machines, right? Oh, <laughs> this person is just going to, you know, we're just going through the motions and this and that. Yeah. And yeah. some, what, what ends up happening is over time, because we've been scarred enough, we have to lock ourselves up because we'll never get through the day. We won't, it's going to start affecting our families. And we do get to a point that's where you see these jaded people where it's just like, they're just going through the motions because they, I bet you every single one of them, almost every single one of them, when they first started, they cared, they tried, they really, really did try and they just couldn't do it anymore. And they're like, okay, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to just do what I can. And he, they know exactly what their parameters are. And that's what they work under, work, work under, right? Exactly. Um, you know, I, I am, I am just reminded of, uh, there is this book actually, and I'll, I'll just have the disclaimer that it is not highbrow. It's pretty lowbrow and it's, it's of the, its own times, which I think is like the seventies. Um, but every time I read this book called, um, um, uh, it's called, uh, God's, uh, God's, oh my gosh, House of God, House of God, um, written by uh, Shamel. He, his book changes for me every single time that I read it. I read it as a pre-medical student. I read it as a medical student. I read it as a resident. And when I first read it before entering medicine, I was appalled by his descriptions. You know, how an intern at the end of the shift would pray that their patient passed away sooner because it meant that they could sleep a little bit more. Um, disgusted me originally. I read it again in medical school, and then I kind of went like, oh, okay, I, I, I see interns. I see how tired they are. I could see how someone crazy enough would think that. Uh, and then I, when I became an intern, I was like, there were moments where I felt that. I never said it, but in my heart, I was like, I am so overworked. I feel like if I drive home, I will get in a car accident because I am so tired. I feel like no one's got my back. You know, I need to put my oxygen mask on. I need to take care of myself. I need to get out of this situation. And, you know, that's just my experience. This has been happening for so long. Medicine has only gotten more complex. It's only gotten um, more uh, divorced from the actual healing process. And so it's just, it's just this feeling of trying to do good, but there's just more and more space between you and your patient. And it's, it's what, um, it challenges me the most, and I'm sure it challenges a lot of people out there as well. Yeah. I mean, I think you're not alone in that. I think we all have, we've all have felt that at one point in time, and that adds to, you know, whatever you want to call it, burnout, stress, whatever it is, because None of us want to feel that way. And the yeah. fact that we feel that way is jarring to us because we are supposed to be the healers. We are supposed to be the saviors, right? There's this weird God complex that exists in medicine. And when you, when that, when that thought crosses your mind, you're not going to act on it or anything. Right. But when, if the fact that it even crosses your mind, you're like, holy crap. And, you know, and that's kind of what was starting to happen to me too. And I was like, I can't do this. Uh, this is not why I got in. And my, I've never been, you know, like, you know, kind of like you, that's why I appreciate what you guys, what you're doing with your, 
with the, with the doctor circle and everything, you're, you're taking a step forward and be like, Hey, this is a problem. We need to talk about it as uncomfortable as it may be. We need to talk about it and we need to fix it. Right. And same, you know, with me, it was, I needed to transition out of clinic, clinical medicine to not because to leave it, but because I wanted to help patients and I wanted to help clinicians specifically to where I can make their job easier. So they're not feeling the way I was feeling when I was trying to make that transition because no one should have to feel that way. We all are trying to do our job and we want to do it well and we need the tools to do it well. And hopefully, you know, more, more clinicians can go out and fix the problems because I think in the end we are the ones that have to fix it because we know what we know it intimately. Yeah. Yeah. We do have, yeah, we, we have to fix it. That is hundred percent true. Um, and it, it's by, by fixing it, that puts the locus of control in our court. Like yep. we, we hold the power to change, to make an impact. And I think that that simple realization is freeing for me. It, it, it makes me feel like, okay, this is a bad situation. A lot of people are in this bad situation. Um, we do need tools, but we're going to do this. We're going to get together. We're going to make this right because we are on the ground floor. We are the ones who are seeing the patients. We see the problems. So like, you know, that that's lean, that's lean thinking straight from the gut, the get go, you know, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, we're on the ground floor. We see the problems. We know what, um, what the patients are experiencing from touch point to touch point, not maybe on it by ourselves, but collectively we all see the patient. And, um, I think that by expressing that locus of control, not only do we have an expression of ourselves, which makes us feel more in control, uh, makes us feel more assured, but it also allows us to find that meaning again, to find that passion of helping other people, um, making the world a little bit better in the way that you can. Yeah, 100%. And I think that it's kind of ironic to me that we are in a profession that is that people look to us to fix them, but we always look to the outside to fix us, if that makes sense. <laughs> And we yeah. were always looking for other people to fix our, fix our problems. And it's just always felt very ironic to me that, you know, we are trained in a way to kind of problem solve. We're, we're trained in a way to basically think on our feet all the time. But when it comes to like our own work environments and this and that, we just like leave it to other people. And I know why, I mean, because, you know, we're already dealing with so much stuff. The last thing we want to do is deal with this. That's why we need the separation of the clinician people that go into clinical medicine, people that go into other things. And I think that schools, and this is, you know, this could be a good segue because you've been talking about this recently about education and how we need to really fundamentally change the way you educate, um, you know, healthcare professionals, because, you know, there's a lot of people in there. Not everyone is meant to be a clinician. Not everyone is meant to be a technologist, not every, which is in, in general, right? Not everyone goes to become a doctor, pharmacist, whatever. Not everyone goes to be an engineer, but when you get into med school, I've, you know, I tell people like if I knew that data science existed and it was a thing I could do, I would have went hundred percent into it. And I would, that's what I would have done. I would have probably went past clinical and just gone into data science, but those are opportunities that are just never given to us for a variety of different reasons. We can touch on them, but you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about edu the education system that as it is now. Yeah. Um, um, I, I think what I'm trying to say through education is not anything um revolutionary i think it's it's just the natural progress of education in general 
Um, maybe in the United States, it's a little bit slower just because we're very uh, rigid in, in kind of our K through 12 system. But education should serve the student and it should serve that student to equip them with knowledge and tools that will enable them for success in whatever time period they're going to be practicing. And I think like if you just go to those roots, those first principles, um, it really clarifies it for me. And what I see is that medicine, I'm, I'm speaking for medicine only because that's, that's how I trained. Um, there is a shift, but it's not fast enough. And medicine by and large has remained the same uh, in terms of how it is tested, in terms of the, the training process. And I'm, I'm thinking more specifically on the clinical aspect of how we grade people, how we evaluate people. Um, we reduce them to numbers sometimes. Um, and so that was that might have worked for a certain time period. But in this age where we have increasing need for understanding data science, you know, what algorithms go into this AI algorithm that is giving me a score? Okay, what is this score? Uh, what data is it comprised of? You know, just that is a technical question. There's also the question of, you know, the culture. There's increasing distrust of medical expertise. There's um, more dialogue that is happening between different stakeholders in medicine, more than in any other time in history. How do we navigate that? Um, and I think that, you know, people are entering the workforce and having to learn that by themselves. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot of, it's caused a lot of pain and a lot of stress because not only are you trying to do your job as a physician, but people are changing the game while you're trying to practice the game. You know, AI is coming in. Our role will not be the same of what it is today as it is in 20 years. I guarantee that, you know, whatever AI does, it might not replace doctors, but doctors will be doing different things for sure. Um, so I think education has to be more entrepreneurial in that aspect. They need to kind of look at the headwinds, see what challenges are out there, and then really engage with that um, from a bottom-up approach. Just understand what are the challenges that people are going through. Burnout is huge. How do we fi fi fix that? You know, those are questions that people need to start asking. No, I completely agree. I mean, and you're absolutely right. I think that I think the medical community is so engrossed with oh no ai is not going to replace medicine you know ai is not going to replace us exactly you know and they're fighting against it and saying what it can't do but they're not looking at what it can do and to your point in 20 years it's going to be much different and wouldn't it be amazing if we are part of that evolution of medicine rather than google amazon whatever like why can't it be us that are dictating what the AI, AI can and cannot do and how good it is, right? And that's my that's my thing. Like that's why I tell people, I'm like, I don't care what it can or cannot do, but let's be involved in it now as it's yeah. becoming something because then we can control and we understand what it is. And to your point, then we can teach it to our students, we can teach it to ourselves. And then we don't have to be afraid. You don't you're not afraid of things that you already know what what it is, right? And that's what I tell people. Yeah, that's a great point, Zane. Um, it's like you're coming from it from a place of curiosity. Um, you're coming from a place of trying to understand like, okay, so there is this new tool. History will be on your side if you understand what that tool does and then try and incorporate it rather than fight against it. Um, 
and I'll tell this kind of side story because I think it um, it's helpful to look at other fields too and kind of the revolutions that they've gone through. But my partner is, uh, she works at the San Francisco Ballet. She's a violinist by trade. And when I look at how she was educated when she went to the conservatory, you would think that music is just such a traditional you know, thing to learn. Um, there is a, there, there's a quote unquote right way to learn music. Um, but the applications are, are many. And I think that in, in many ways, medicine is kind of like that. Healthcare is kind of like that. Um, there is this kind of growing niche in music of video game composers. And when you think about that, you're like, what that I, I didn't even know that that was even a course in college, let alone like a degree that you can get. But, you know, that came by because video games are now progressing to a place where they are so immersive and music is a huge part of that. And so it takes and it takes a storyteller, it takes a musician and it takes, um, you know, a software engineer sometimes to understand how to do that job really well. And the education system responded to the need um, to help their graduates you know, fill those, uh, those positions. And in that same way, I, that's how I look at all of these tools that are coming out in AI in bioengineering in genetic engineering. These are very interesting things. Um, but we need to not just throw people out that are completely the same. We need to enable them to have the tools, at least to understand it, to be curious about how it works so that we can be on the ground floor helping, um, it mesh. Uh, harmoniously with well medicine already is yeah no that's a great analogy that you just made there um and yeah and it and and we're not saying and i don't want to speak for you but i'm not saying that everyone needs to learn all this stuff no. what what i'm what we're saying is there is a subset of people in school that would love to learn about this if they're given the chance but right now they're not even given the chance to learn it until they get out and they're like holy crap i didn't know this existed this would have been cool to learn before so that I would be prepared enough to jump into this role or, you know, look for companies that are looking for people like me. And that's the biggest thing, right? It's just the opportunity to learn. It just doesn't exist right now. Yeah, that's a great clarifying point. It, it, it really is. Um, it really is. There's opportunity out there and it just, it would help for that door to be open for more people. Yeah, no, for sure. So I want to go back, kind of circle back to the doctor circle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And kind of like, you know, what, you know, you're building this awesome community. So, A, how can people find this community? And then also, what does this community provide? You kind of, you kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, some, there's some support to it. And also like, you know, linking up with people that are similar interests to you, but you know, what, what do you want to dive a little deeper into it? Yeah. Um, I, I will say that if you're interested in the doctor's circle, which is a educational platform that is helping creative people in healthcare um, build things as general as I can make it. I would start with uh, finding me on LinkedIn, uh, Keith Sakata, or going to thedoctorcircle.com and just signing up for the newsletter. Uh, it's a very low hassle thing uh, to just kind of stay up to date in the journey because um, as, as a, um, an honest entrepreneur, I am working with the community in real time. I'm always talking with people and then getting their feedback on what works, what problems are you facing? How can we um, revise what, it, what, what, what is uh, valuable about this community so that we can 
enable everybody to succeed together. Um, so I would just join the newsletter. Um, and every week I, pr I provide um, some tips on getting started on a side project, some tips on how to be creative, and then tips on how to be you know, a good physician as well, um, especially when you feel like you can't be creative. Um, that being said, the community that I'm trying to build is one where all of those um, you know, odd, interesting, creative people, whatever you use to describe yourself, you know, we can all come together in one community and in our differences, we can all feel alike that we have different perspectives. Um, the value that you will find here is that network. So people are already finding their co-founders here. They're already finding mentors. Um, you know, we just have a great bunch of people from all across, um, not only the United States, but also in London um, and in Asia as well, people who are building things together. I'm currently working on a kind of beginner's course to help create a shared language between everybody and so that everyone is actively doing something because the community is action oriented. We don't just talk, we're actually working. And when we run into problems, we help each other out. So if that's interesting to you, if you have thought about creating a side project or if you've thought about maybe just building the tools of what it is to be entrepreneurial, that is kind of what we're catering to. And I think it would be a good fit for you. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Are you looking for specific people? Are you only looking for physicians? Are you kind of looking for technology? Like, are, is there a specific person or is it open to anyone that's uh, willing to help? No. And this is such an interesting question because I, I, I assumed that it would be residents and medical students that would be the most uh, in need for something like this. But I have met so many different people outside of those groups, nurses, pharmacists. And so it is open to everybody. Um, when you join, you will find that there are more uh, physicians. Don't let that uh, discourage you. Um, I'm hoping that the doctor circle can just be a place for creatives and healthcare to build things together and find that sense of community. Awesome. That's, I mean, that sounds, that sounds great. I mean, like I said, um, these are things that I think both of us, especially me, wish existed back when I was uh, going I was going to say growing up. Technically, yes, <laughs> when I was growing up. Yeah, you were growing up. Pharmacy <laughs> school. Yeah, during school, I think that, you know, um, we kind of get pushed into this box that whether we like it or not, we're in it. So, um, but yeah, no, that's awesome, man. So, um, what, how long has this been going? How long have you had this community running for? Um, so when I started the project, I would say it's been uh, almost five months. Um, it was not the doctor circle until we launched on New Year's of this year. So it's been about a month and a couple weeks that, you know, I've been on this mission to specifically work with creative people um, and then cater to those creative people. Um, like I said before, at first I was trying to help people who were burnt out. Um, during that time, I also had a spinoff business helping residents switch their programs. So if you're stuck in a residency program, it's really hard to um, know what to do. You feel alone in that aspect. So I spent time creating community around that, helping people get where they need to go as well. Um, but it's been about a month. And um, I will say that we're still small, but I, I, I kind of cherish that smallness because it is it is uh, it allows us to have individual voices and allows us to kind of have a say in you know what the community will look like and then where we're going to go but um 
it's it's been so fun so far yeah it's awesome man i mean it sounds like you've come a long way even just the short time that you guys have been running it and i agree with you i think having a small community is really nice um because you you get to know everyone right you're not it's you're not just like another you know you're not just like gonna get blasted by like 800 different comments you know you're gonna people are gonna interact with you people are gonna know you and i think literally that's how you build a community right yeah and and we're all tied by the same values too which i social media is great like i met amazing people like you um but it, it does sometimes feel like you are in a sea and everyone's kind of like sitting in the sea with you but the reason why i love community is because everyone there you could hate the person next to you, but you're there because you guys share at least one value and that's what connects us. And I think that um, we need more connection in medicine for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that it's kind of like, I think it's, it's kind of funny in medicine. We, there's so many people that I think we can help each other really well as long as, but we just don't know what each person is doing. If that makes sense. There's a lot of yeah. duplication of efforts. There's a lot of this. Absolutely. We just don't, communicate amongst ourselves and we don't understand what the other thing is doing. And I think that, you know, building a community or, or during training, when you're working with different specialties, um, it can really help out in the, in the long run, you know? Yeah. I'm curious for you, Zane. Um, cause we've talked about your newsletter in the past and, and I look up to you in that aspect <laughs> and I am a terrible writer, but I'm, I'm trying to get better every day, but it, in a sense, a newsletter is, a community because you do have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with that person and it is like your voice traveling to that other person um how have you what what has that meant for you in terms of building like a group of people that are surrounded by a, a common common value yeah man uh, the newsletter kind of started um randomly because i started so all transparency i started posting on linkedin because i was looking for a job and I was, you know, told by some people that I, I networked with that, hey, you need to show authority. You need to show that you know what you're talking about, because right now people only see you as a pharmacist. So then I started talking and I started posting things. Uh, for me, there were like ev everywhere I've talked to, there were outlandish things like, oh, my God, this guy's crazy. But when I was posting it, people were like commenting like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we see this too. Or, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, this, this thought. And it was just kind of nice to kind of back to your point when you first started, right? Finding a, finding a group of people that kind of agree with you. I'm not saying like it's an echo chamber type thing, but like, you know, it got great discussion started. Um, I have no problem people challenging me whatsoever. Um, I actually love that because then you can kind of refine your idea. But anyways, uh, the newsletter started because I just wanted to dive deeper into topics that I think th that I thought that were important because I think there's a lot of, people from outside of medicine telling us what is wrong and what, like why, you know, Oh, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. So I created my newsletter because I was like, you know, let's take a complex topic. Let's break it down. So my goal is to teach medical professionals about the technology and my, and the technology people about the medical profession. And that's what I try to do in my newsletter is try to bring both of them together. So that's like my audience. I'm trying to get both basically health tech people in yeah. and the goal is to kind of bring them together and be like show the medical community like hey guys you know they're both sides are not crazy but let's come in the middle and try to figure out the solution and it's been pretty awesome i like it um i i, mean, I don't know if uh how it's being received by others but i enjoy it a lot i 
you know, it is nice to get people like, you know, there's been a couple articles that I've written and people are like, yeah, no, I love that. You know, my, we went through that and that's always been, that's always like nice to hear. But yeah. in terms of a community, I would like to build a new community. I would like to make, get more engagement. Um, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's like, I would, I'm not big enough to make it in a community. Honestly, like I'm just a very small fish in a very large pond, but I would love to make it into a, like a small community of, you know, technologists, healthcare, even with this podcast, that's my goal is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together. Because the more I talk to people from different areas, the more you realize that we're all dealing with the same problems. And back to the point of, you know, we don't know what each other is doing. We're duplicating a lot of efforts. So if we can just talk to each other, open the door and just, I think we can really solve problems. And so that's kind of what my goal is with the newsletter, with this podcast is just opening people's eyes, pulling back the curtain, how, whatever it happens to be, it might be good, bad, ugly, whatever, but just showing people, this is what's happening. This is why it's happening. And, you know, and then I throw my, like, this is how I would fix it. But, uh, you know, I just leave it out there for people who, I don't know. That's kind of just my goal with it. Yeah, no, I love that. I don't, you can't see, but my hair is kind of stuck on end while you were talking <laughs> of how, how much I felt the, that conversation. But um, I, I completely agree with you in the fact that you brought up there is a problem where some of us are just so busy that we want to have these conversations, but we don't have the time. And what else is out there? It's someone telling you what to think. It's someone telling you what is wrong. And sometimes that person isn't a, respects their authority and says the right thing. Sometimes, you know, we, we tend to follow things just because that's what is available. But when you have someone like yourself, where you are not only continually voicing what values you have, but your perspective on the world, it allows that person to be like, yeah, I believe the same things that Zane believes. I trust in him to find answers to problems that I have as well. And I'm going to cherish those answers. And so it makes it much of an easier, if you are building a community around that voice, it makes it easier for other people to be like, um, to find that information because they, they have that trust. So I think that that's just like a really, and it's, and it's a, it's a movement too. Like I see so many different people now in healthcare starting to, to talk, starting to put their voice out. And, um, it's just such a powerful medium. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're giving me a lot of credit, but thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the goal, man. It's just to, um, my goal is to, if I can, so the reason why I went into tech was to empower other people that wanted to do that, A, and then B, also be part of the solution. And I want to create the solution. I want to get to a position where I'm helping, you know, and this, and this is going to sound crazy when I say it out loud, billions of patients and millions of, you know, millions of clinicians. I want to be able to do both of those things. And you can't do that while you're, I couldn't see myself doing that while I was sitting behind a computer screen and complaining about the EMR or complaining about the scheduling, complaining about this. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm just trying to, sh and you know, that's what I'm, that's really my goal is to show clinicians that there is a, there, there is a way out if you want it. And B, there are people trying to help us. We just need to be able to, we just need, both of us just need to extend our hands and just talk to each other. And we need, we can do that and we can do it together, you know, but we need to be part of the solution. We cannot, we cannot just take whatever solution is given to us anymore. We have to be part of the solution because it's, 
it's gone too far now. Like we need, we can't just sit there and just put our heads in the sand and be like, Oh, we're just doing patient care. That's it. That's great. That, that you, we need to do that. But we also need to take care of ourselves as well. Cause you, you know, like in the plane, you know, when the oxygen mask comes out, they always tell you put your mask on first and then everyone else's, because if you're on the floor dead, you can't help anyone. And that's kind of what medicine is turning into. We've been yeah. putting oxygen masks on everyone else and we're running out of oxygen now. Yeah. Yeah. 100% you're rising. Um, and, and to kind of take your, your, your point further, I, I think that anybody can do what you're doing, not, not to diminish your work. Cause mm -hmm. I, I look at your work and I, I'm very inspired by what you do, but what you have shown me by being transparent and by being candid and frankly, a lot of other people that I'm starting to meet where I thought like, oh my God, how do I even write a newsletter? Like, or how do I even record a YouTube video or a podcast? Like that seems crazy, but you and everyone and me, we're all normal people just frustrated around a problem. And it's going to take a lot more uh, people. It's going to take a lot more help. And so um, I do think that the tools that are on the internet now, I think that the, the culture that is out there now do support um, everybody having a say in this issue as well. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to show people. Like I tell, I, I kind of joke with people like, Hey, I'm just a dude from Wisconsin that is just doing this. Like I have zero following. I have no social proof. I have nothing. And if I can get to this point, I mean, people, there are people that are doing so many great things that are way, way more influential than I am that can really make waves. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I am nothing special. I really am not. I'm just a dude that is okay with looking stupid once in a while. And that's really <laughs> all it takes, right? If you're okay with looking dumb once in a while, that yeah. is a very powerful thing yeah. and you can kind of move forward from there. Yeah. Um, Zane, let's invite everybody to look stupid because um, I don't know if there is a day that I wake up where I don't feel stupid about something. And so if there is anyone who feels that way, I feel like we just need more people being transparent because the process is hard, Yeah. but uh, it's, it's fun at the same time and everyone fails. If, if they're, if people say that they're perfect, that they're lying, it's not true. Yeah. And I was joking with somebody, I forgot what article it was. Somebody reached out to me like, Hey, thanks for saying that. I've always wanted to say that. And I was like, don't worry, I'll take all the bullets. I don't mind looking dumb. <laughs> and it was a joke, but it, I was just like, Hey, I don't really mind it. You know, I, yeah. I've, you know, this is something that I deal with. I tell people all the time, like I, every day of my life, I feel dumb, but I'm okay with that because that means that it gives me something to learn. So that's how I approach it. Like it gives me something to learn because any day, you can even ask my wife, I go through weird things. Any day that I feel like, once I feel like I can't learn anymore, that's when I'm going to feel really sad, honestly. Um, and I'm, I'm just thinking of, like, we're, you know, we were talking about community. Having that space to feel dumb yeah. is so helpful, too. Because, like, you know, now I'm talking to you. I feel very calm. I feel very open to just be as honest as possible can ask me anything but i thinking back about going through residency you're thinking back about medical school those i can count the, the times on my fingers the rotations on my fingers on when i felt comfortable even saying i don't know which is kind of scary yeah man i learned real quick uh <laughs> to just say i don't know uh one thing <laughs> about me though uh you know not knowing a lot of things 
I got really good at looking things up. So Mm, um, that's why I tell people, if you don't know, just at least know where to look and how to look it up. So I would at least do that. And yeah, man, I even like, I mean, I, I had been practicing oncology for almost 10 years and every day somebody would ask me a question and I would be like, I have zero idea, but let me get back to you. I, I'm seriously, I would just be, I, I, I still to this day, like I, people ask me and I'm like, I don't know. And, but I mean, I think that is just being transparent and, and they're, they're asking you because they don't know. So they can't really yeah. say too much to you. So to, as to long as, bet, to, huh? to be fair to you, oncology doesn't know what it is. <laughs> so like there, every day there's a new side effect or there's a new drug that sounds like a mythical beast. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's yeah. one of the reasons why I liked oncology a lot, too, was because it was constantly changing. It was constantly it was mm-hmm. nerve wracking. And I remember, the, you know, this would be and it feels like it would be like a weekly occurrence. We'd get a drug because I worked in an academic institution. We get a new drug and I'm like, it's going through my thing. And I'm like, what is this? So I'm like quickly jump on like <laughs> up to date and Lexicomp or whatever. And I'm like looking it up and I'm like, OK, this is and pull up the studies and, you know, save them for later. Just make sure everything is looking good. But yeah, man, that happened all the time. But that's kind of what I liked about oncology as well, because things did change constantly. And I never felt like I, I hate feeling uncomfortable, but I know I need to feel uncomfortable to grow. And oncology was the one thing that always provided me with that. And also the patients in oncology are just so amazing. And, and, and just really, that is one thing I will miss, I think, is just that interaction. Yeah, and that's the reason why I love medicine is because similar to you, there is that opportunity for growth in so many dimensions as a human being. And when you think about ha- like living a good life, you think about um, the things that you learn in medicine. How do you speak to another person who's sick? How do you uh, think like a scientist? How do you make your own hypotheses? How do you follow up on those hypotheses? Um, how do you interact um, through a chain of command, um, how do you lead people? Like these are all things that force you to grow. Like uncertainty is baked into healthcare, um, and it it really is a beautiful thing. Which is why, like I think you and I get so upset when that part of medicine and healthcare is removed. You know that that opportunity to grow, that opportunity to kind of take um, ownership of that growth is removed from the equation. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I used to, after residency, you know, I mean, our residency is not as crazy as, you know, uh, physician residencies, but you know, I was putting in 80 hours a week. I was driving, I was driving an hour and a half one way to get to my hospital. So it was three hours in the, on the car and then 80 hours on top of that. So it was, it was quite a bit. And I would, I, I lived with my parents. I wouldn't see them. I would come home after they fell asleep and I would leave before they woke up. So there were days where I would just never see them. But you know what? I loved it. I loved every part of it because I was able to grow. And one of the things that I lost when I got into my profession, like my professional career, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, I missed that opportunity to learn. I missed that, not even, not even that opportunity, but like that forced learning that you were forced to do. But I loved it because... I was learning something new every day. I was like getting pulled into all these things. And then when you become, when you come become part of the salary, part of the staff, then all of that is ripped away from you literally overnight and you can't do that anymore. And you've literally spent your whole life just studying and working towards the next goal, the next goal, the next goal, the next thing, the next test, the next, whatever. 
and it's just ripped from you and it was pretty jarring for me at like the first couple of weeks i was cool with it yeah like yeah i don't have to read another paper i don't do this but then like a couple of months in i'm like this sucks like what <laughs> i kind of miss residency and people look at me like what the hell's wrong with you i'm like i just miss it because i miss that learning wow that's beautifully said and i i just want to before i forget about this did you say an hour and a half driving one way yeah, it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> I still don't know how I did it, but yeah, it was oh, hour and gosh. a half one way. So it was like, yeah, three hours in the car. Um, and I, what, uh, holy cow. I, so I drove from San Francisco down to Palo Alto, um, which is not an hour and a half. It is long, but how did you, uh, make that drive bearable? Did you like have a podcast that you listen to or? No, I, I wish I, so <laughs> my car didn't have any auxiliary jack, no, not anything. I couldn't connect to anything. Oh. So I would just listen to sports talk radio the whole time. Oh, okay. And, um, that's kind of what got me through. And yeah, man, I remember one time that I remember one time driving home, there was a snowstorm and it took me three hours to get home. And I was applying to, I had applied to PGY2 residency. So that's a second year residency for people that don't know. And I hadn't heard from anyone. I had applied to like 12, I think, I can't remember, like a, a dozen or something, right? And then I didn't hear from anyone. And then while I'm driving in the car, stuck in traffic, I get like six emails all at once. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm I'm like stopped. I'm like, okay, let's see who emailed me. All six of them were rejections. And I'm just sitting there in bumper to bumper traffic in the snowstorm. And I'm just like, this sucks. But it was kind of nice as well, too, because it gave me all that time to kind of work through all my feelings. So when I got home, I told my parents, my mom and dad gave me a hug. They're like, they said it was okay. And then um, I was fine with it because I, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, there was times like that, but most of the times, you know, it was also nice to kind of unwind after residency, after my rotation, because sometimes we would double, right? We would resident, we would do our rotations in the morning and then work in the afternoon. So I'm putting like a 16 hour day almost. And, um, so sometimes it was just nice to just like decompress and there were times where there were times where I was just like screaming in the car (laughs) driving home. So that way, when I got home, I was calm, nothing, nothing to talk about. I love that. It's like therapy, mandatory therapy at the end of every day. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I think that we need to do more of that. And this is just kind of going off topic. I think in general, I think we need to be, we need to be in our heads more often. I think we're so overstimulated that we don't ever really realize what we're we're physically and mentally going through. And that is one thing I do miss about like long car rides like that is there were times where I would just space out, kind of think about what just happened. Why did it happen? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And kind of, I learned a lot about myself during that year, uh, just because I was in the car for three hours and no one else was there to talk to me. It was just me talking to myself. Yeah, I, I uh, I can't relate to the three hours in a snowstorm. <laughs> I'll be honest with that. Um, but I I did enjoy the buffer between the intensity of what I was leaving and then kind of uh, just kind of a, a better Zen place at home. Um, and I do agree with you. I think that a lot like we just don't have bandwidth, so we don't have time to reflect. A lot of the times we're so busy. Um, our minds are pulled in so many different directions. Um, and you know, the, I think that's part of the reason why I'm so fueled about um, making sure that I'm always working on something creative because it 
is that piece of continuity for me. It is at its minimum, it's an opportunity to pick up new skills. Like if I wanted to learn how to code something, I'll create that project out of that. And it's something outside of medicine where uh, I can leave that world behind just for a little bit and then work on something completely expressive. Uh, and at the at its best, you know, it, it's an opportunity for you to uh, put meaning into what you're doing. Um, but bandwidth is the hardest part that I feel I see a lot of people go through having that energy, having the time to do that. Um, so hopefully, more people recognize this. We carve out more time for people to work. Uh, we carve out creative time for people, and um, the culture changes too. But I totally agree with what you were saying. Yeah, no, and that's a good segue into the like the culture of medicine in general. Um, have you have you found any pushback to what you're trying to do? Uh, pushback in in what way? Hmm. In the sense of, um, you know, there are there. I mean, me personally, not I'm not talking about you, but me personally, I've heard. You know, when when people left the clinical world, they wanted to go somewhere else, do something else. You know, there was this, like, oh, you left us. Why are you leaving us? This is our calling. You know, you're kind of leaving, you know, no man left behind. You kind of left us all behind. And I felt that, right? I felt, I feel that. But did you, did you have anything like that? People talking to you about, you know, pushing back against that? Because, you know, we went to med school to take care of patients. We didn't go to med school to, you know, code. We didn't go to med school to do this, do that. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I want to say yes. Um. I will try and be careful about what is more feeling and what is more like actual, like measurable data from what I'm getting. Um, there has definitely been instances, and this has usually been on Reddit, where I feel like because we're anonymous, we are entitled to say exactly how we feel. But I've gotten very uh, hateful things on Reddit, which is fine. Like I actually enjoy it because um, it, it means that. I'm actually engaging with all types of people and, and I, I welcome that kind of feedback. But um, I think what I have mostly experienced and what might be a little bit closer to the truth is that there's more of a silence. Um, the culture of medicine is in part a survival mechanism, I think, because um, if you... So, you know, if let's say you're a resident, you're working 80 hours on paper, but maybe you're working more than that. You, you know, your relationships might be strange. You're, you're burnt out. You know, you have so many expectations. It's almost a burden to think that there is a better way to do it because it means that you're doing something wrong. Um, and it means that there is a lot of uncertainty that that introduces. So there is a lot of comfort in being like, this is how it is. This is a certain level of, you know, challenge that you just have to grind through. There is that mentality. And so leave like leaving that sphere of influence. Um, there's a lot of silence. Like people uh, are hesitant to even like engage with you because you, they worry, um, you know, they might worry like, what will it look like if I engage with this? Um, I want to still get into a good residency. I want to still get into a good fellowship. Um, the culture is still very traditional. 
And so that's kind of what I've run into is just people silently on the side being like, I love what you're doing. Great job. Keep going. But in public, like you're not going to get that much support because the culture is so strong. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, I think I've, I've experienced the same thing too. I mean, I've heard it wasn't, it wasn't, and it wasn't directed to me. Like there was, there was some things where people left and they're like, oh my God, you know, how could they leave us? But the majority of people are very supportive in private. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, like you said, you know, I think that's one thing that regardless of how burnt out we are, or whatever, I think majority of the community will rally around each other, at least in the private, in the privacy of a DM or a text message or just in a personal conversation. But that that's good to hear that, you know, that people are like, because I think what you're building is really awesome and it, it's definitely needed. And the fact that you're doing it so early in your career, um, I think is only going to help you in the long run. Thank you. Um, I, I am not um, doing it on my own. So like, w- what I mean is there has just been this incredible group of people um, that I met on LinkedIn and I've never been on LinkedIn before this year, but you know, I've already met you. I've met people um, like Amy Story, I've met people like Jessica Zampedri and Becky Wolf. They're all creating really cool things. They're all older than me because they have more experience. Um, but you guys are like really paving the way. Um, my hope is that more people see that there are doors that are opening. You know, there are doors like this is a viable, it's a viable decision to go and create a newsletter. It's a viable decision to go create a podcast. Um, you're building your own personal brand. Like you said, you're building your authority. Um, but it's hard to see what could be when you don't see other people doing it. And so I, I definitely stand on the shoulders of those giants, like the people who came before me. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there's been a lot of people that helped me and kind of showed me that I, that I am capable of it. And I think that's what you just need. You just need somebody that's done it, um, to show you that, yes, you can do this. Um, and it's really powerful to hear somebody that is successful and they see something in you and they're like, yes, you can do that. Cause I'm not here because by myself, I'm doing this because I was encouraged by a lot of amazing people, uh, that are way, 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 way smarter than I am and way more eloquent than I am. And they said, Hey, you can do it. Why not? And I was just dumb enough to be like, yeah, why not? <laughs> Let's just try it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's been awesome. I mean, the newsletter has opened a lot of doors for me. A lot of people have reached out to me. And I've met people that I've never would have never met, you know, I've same with LinkedIn, uh, social media in general. I'm I'm dipping my toe in Twitter, seeing how that one works out. <laughs> and then, but we'll see where it goes. But I'm I'm just enjoying the ride, honestly. People always ask me what I want to do with it. I tell them I have zero idea. I literally just am doing this because I'm enjoying it and that's it. Um maybe it turns but into how, something. How many hmm? Oh, sorry to sorry to interrupt with you. Um, but I was just going to ask, how many of the times you did something new was you starting with, I don't know where well, it's going to go? Almost everything in my life is like that. I, I do have analysis by paralysis. and But the things that I, things that do happen is just mainly me just jumping into it, uh, knowing that I'm just never going to know. And I just don't know how to do it. But yeah, I mean, it's just like majority of everything I do is usually, all right, let's just try it, see what happens as long as it's not going to be... As long as I'm not going to die physically or I'm not going to hurt anyone doing it, I'm, I'm willing to try really anything. That, and that is something that I struggle with. And so thank you for saying that because uh, a lot of healthcare, or at least training in healthcare, is trying to look as competent as possible 
and just knowing exactly what your next steps are. And so for to hear someone saying, I have no idea what's going to happen, but then still doing it and then loving it, keep going at it. Uh, for me, that's inspirational. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. No, no. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, like I was, like I said, I was joking about it. like, I don't mind taking the bullets for people um, because man, I've, I've looked so dumb so many times throughout my life uh, from childhood to my professional career. And, you know, I survived. And that's one thing that showed me is, you know, as long as you're trying to do the right thing, people will always see the right thing. It doesn't matter how dumb you might look. You're all, you're going to learn something from it. You might not forget that fact ever in your life. There's certain things that I'm never going to forget because I felt extremely embarrassed at the time, but you know, it's just a learning experience. You're going to always, sun's always going to rise in the East the next day. And, um, you know, you're going to wake up tomorrow as long as you're, like I said, as long as you're not hurting somebody or you hurt yourself, you know, it's worth the try. Right on. But yeah, man. So, um, I'd like to end this by asking a question. What, no, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself when you started, like, you know, before you started, like, you know, if somebody, if there's a, a medical student coming out right now, like, or go, going into med school or in healthcare, like, what would you tell them? Or what would you have told yourself knowing what you know now? So like any, any point mm-hmm. in the past? Okay. I would say that my most formidable time was medical school, just because it was such a culture shock to me. Um, and going into medical school, I was very afraid. I was very uh, introverted, um, really quiet about expressing my voice. And so I would say to, to myself and to anyone who feels that way, coming into a world where it may feel like you're, it, it's out of your control and it may feel like you have nothing to say in this world, um, to hold on to that inner voice that you have. If you have a point of view, hold on to that and find ways to express that starting in medical school, because you'll never have more time than you do in medical school. But, you know, it, and it can be something so small as creating uh, like a newsletter, or so small as um, creating a Facebook group, of just people who feel that same way. I guarantee you that that, if you keep it going with that voice, will be such a huge part of your identity in medical school and residency. Because the world really needs to hear your voice. Um, medicine already does is does a, it's hard to keep your voice in medicine, and it tends to make people quiet. Um, but I would just encourage myself um, to not be scared of that and just keep going because there are so many other people who feel the same way. No, I love that, and I wish I would have heard that when I was starting pharmacy school. Um, and the other thing is, uh, you know, when you're a student. And you reach out to people that are way that you may think is way out of your league. A lot of people will help you out just because you're a student, because they're like, "Holy crap! Yeah. Like this person is right here, right now." Yeah, I'm. I want they. They want to keep. They want to drag you with them. So yeah. that's another thing, guys. If you're a student, definitely just get out there because you will get way more help than I would. And that's not even saying anything against anyone, but it's even with me when a student messages me or something, I message them right away because I'm like, "Hey, they took the initiative." They're doing something and I see, you know, you see yourself in them. You're like, oh, I want to help them get to where they want to get to. That is a great point. Like before this podcast and send three cold emails yeah. to, to the people you are inspired by. Um, and like you get to say, I'm a student. Yes. Like that's how you start your email. That is a superpower and people love that. And yeah. um, 
Yeah. I would have loved to know that as, as a student as well. Oh my God. I would be so, I mean, there, there'd be, yeah, you just do it. There's, and you'll, you'll be so surprised as to who will be replying back to you. And yeah. always remember if they don't reply back, there's a lot of other people out there. There's a lot oh, of amazing, man. great minds out here and there's no shortage of that for sure. But no, that was amazing. Um, but yeah, so if people want to find you, get a hold of you, where, uh, where is the best place to get a hold of you? Um, to, to, to give me a message, um, you can email me at Keith at the Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. My name is Keith Sakata. Uh, if you want to get involved with, you know, listening to my newsletter, uh, getting involved with the community, you can just head on to the, the and, um, there should be, um, some links to get you started there. Awesome. And I'll have all those linked in the show notes below, but Keith, thank you so much. This is a really insightful um, discussion. It was a little bit of therapy for myself, so I appreciate you being a <laughs> being a ear Likewise. for being ear listening to me. But no, thank you so much. This was amazing. Likewise, um, I'm I'm actually kind of into the whole notion of driving through a snowstorm. That seems really therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's you have nothing but yourself and just time, and you That's will. Switch. Yeah, and you know, it's it's it can be really awesome. And, I, and like I said, it helped me a lot. I think that if I didn't have that time, I think I would have been a lot different. Hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Zane. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Keith. It was great. <laughs>